Hello, fellow educators, and welcome to episode 56 of the Leaders of Literacy podcast. Today, my co-host Samantha Statler and colleague Brittany Fike are going to wrap up their conversation around instructional coaching by focusing on the book by Jim Knight called The Definitive Guide to Instructional Coaching, Seven Factors for Success. Welcome to the Leaders of Literacy podcast, where we engage in educational conversations to strengthen early literacy in West Virginia. Are you ready to become a leader of literacy? Hello, listeners. I am excited to be back with you today to talk a little more about instructional coaching with my colleague, Brittany Fike. Brittany, welcome back. Thanks, Sam. I'm so excited to be back, especially after our last episode together with Jim Knight. I took so much away from our conversation with him, and I really hope our listeners did too. I really enjoyed that he took the time to explain dialogical coaching and why, as instructional coaches, that this type of coaching is the type we should be striving for. Yeah, and I I couldn't agree more. I truly learned so much from some of the great things that he shared with us, and I really like the information that he shared about those seven factors of success, which focus on who I am as a coach, what I do, and where I work. So if you didn't have a chance to listen to our previous episode together, feel free to go back and listen to episode 55. Yeah, Sam, I'm so glad you brought that up. Jim Knight has written several different books that we love here in our office um, around instructional coaching, but his newest book, The Definitive Guide to Instructional Coaching, Seven Factors for Success, just released this year, and it has so much great information in it for instructional coaches to use as a tool to really help them kind of get started and dive into instructional coaching. It's only 195 pages long, so it's a short read and it's very reader friendly. I thoroughly enjoyed diving into this text. And like you said, it is very user friendly. And each section actually has like a nice little diagram about the success factor, along with a short summary, some reflection questions, and even a section that talks about what's next. So I think at this time, it would be so beneficial for our listeners if we talked about those seven factors of success a little more in depth. What do you think, Brittany? Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Sam. Not only are these seven success factors essential for coaching to be effective, but for any change or initiative to be successful. The first three factors focus on who you are as a coach, and then factors four, five, and six focus on what you do as an instructional coach. And lastly, factor seven focuses on where you work. And so that first factor that Jim Knight introduces is the partnership principles. And the partnership principles are a set of principles that focus on how instructional coaches interact with those people that they're working with. And so um, what is really talked about here is that this relationship should truly be a partnership where both the instructional coach and the educator put in work together and feel equally valued. The seven partnership principles are equality, choice, voice, reflection, dialogue, praxis, and reciprocity. One important point that Jim Knight makes is that if instructional coaches see themselves as superior to educators um, or superior to those that they're working with, that this might lead to those educators not being interested in what they have to say. 
Right. And when others come in with a superior attitude, it really just kind of sets that relationship up to fail because it, you know, signals to others that this person just doesn't care about what, you know, I have to say and that I'm not valued. Something else that I really like about these principles is that not only do they provide that framework for instructional coaches to use when they're getting started to kind of figure out, you know, who they are in this role, but they're also just very practical. So this leads us to that second factor, which is communication skills. So coaching is something that can be taught and, you know, learned by someone, but it is really about caring about teachers and remembering, you know, what it was like to be a teacher. Um, Hopefully you have some experience there. And as an instructional coach, to understand what your teachers need, you're going to have to ask some good questions and listen. Questioning may sound like an easy task to just check off your to-do list, but being able to ask great questions just takes more thought. Those questions should empower others to generate and create new ideas on their own and, you know, just to help them generate those deeper thoughts. And on the other side of that is to be an effective listener. Focus on the teacher you are working with and give them your full attention every time you meet with them. And a great quote that I think of often when thinking about listening um, is by Stephen Covey. That is that we need to stop listening to reply and start listening to understand. Yes, Sam, I'm a big Covey fan and I love that quote. I also think that, you know, sometimes as coaches, it's easy to feel like we need to have all the answers instantly. I know I'm a fixer and so this is something that I struggle with at times because we want to immediately respond to what those we're working with are saying. However, this can tend to have um, somewhat of a negative effect by not allowing our educators the time they need to really communicate their thoughts to us clearly. So it's imperative that we understand the difference between those two things and that we learn to intentionally listen and to understand what those we're working with are saying to us. So the next success factor is instructional coaches as leaders. And so the true difference between a coach who has a positive impact versus a coach who doesn't really have much of an impact comes down to leadership. Coaches who understand their role really increase the likelihood that they will have a positive impact on educators and then on students. So if you think about it, each time an instructional coach partners with a teacher to bring about a positive change, the students of that teacher then benefit. So with a coach working with a teacher for even just a year, think of how many students that will benefit from the leadership that's shown by that instructional coach. It's literally thousands of children. Yeah. And when you talk about it like that, it really puts the importance of their role in perspective. You know, I think sometimes we can get caught up in the present, you know, with the students we have now, and sometimes forget about those other students that this teacher, you know, will have an impact on in the future. So an instructional coach really helps that teacher work toward a change that they can make in their practice that will hopefully stay with them and impact their students from that point forward. So talk to us a little bit more about how leadership can be tied into effective coaching. Yeah, so traditionally, when you think about leadership, you think about someone who is providing direction, right? They have a clear goal or vision, and then they motivate others to want to pursue that goal. 
For instructional coaching, though, that isn't exactly the case. Leadership for an instructional coach really pulls in those partnership principles that I was telling you about earlier. And these principles help others identify for themselves what they need to do rather than someone just telling them what they need to do or what they need to work on. So for an instructional coach, this type of leadership is based on an act of service, not control. And I think it's also important to mention that Jim Knight divides this leadership piece into two parts, leading ourselves and then leading others. And so to lead ourselves, we have to be aware of our purpose and principles and how to use and manage our time effectively, how to take care of ourselves, and how to develop really good habits that help us to do all of these things. But to lead others, we have to be able to make good decisions, interact with um, those around us in ways that expand our capacities, and help foster deep knowledge and implementation, and really create a sense of alignment with those we're working with. I'm glad that you shared a little bit about the two parts of leadership that Jim Knight identifies, which again is leading ourselves and leading others. And I wanted to capitalize on that practice and practicing self-care piece that he mentioned under leading ourselves. We really are our own worst critics. And I encourage you to be intentional about the self-compassion that you have for yourself, especially if you are new to the role as an instructional coach. As we discuss the fourth factor, I want to remind our listeners that factors four, five, and six are focused on what you do as an instructional coach. The fourth factor is the impact cycle. The impact cycle is the approach to the coaching cycle that Jim Knight and his team support. It is a process for assisting teachers that helps them set and meet powerful goals in their classroom. And there are three stages to the impact cycle, identify, learn, and improve. So the impact cycle starts with that identify stage where the collaborating teacher in partnership with the instructional coach identifies that clear picture of reality in their classroom. They can do this by maybe watching a video recording of a lesson or by reviewing an observation that their instructional coach did. And the teacher then works in collaboration with the coach to answer some identifying questions to just put into focus that student-focused goal. It's also in this stage that the teacher identifies a teaching strategy to use to hit the goal. The second stage of the impact cycle is the learn phase. Once that strategy has been chosen for the teacher to use to meet their goal, the instructional coach needs to ensure that the teacher is ready to use that strategy. It is helpful for instructional coaches to use checklists to make sure the teacher understands what is needed from them to make the strategy a success in their classroom. And you want to make sure that you go through this checklist until the teacher is comfortable in the understanding of what the strategy is that they're going to be using. It is also very helpful for the instructional coach to maybe model the strategy for the teacher and give them a week or two to practice using this before you do an observation with them. Definitely. The third stage of the impact cycle is the improve stage. In a perfect world, the teacher who has learned, you know, this new strategy would implement it perfectly and all the students would immediately meet their goals. But we know that that's actually um, very rarely the case. Most of the time, the teacher has to modify or even go back and replace the initial strategy or goal so that it does work for students. This is truly where that collaborative work is going to take place because the teacher and instructional coach are working together to make those adaptations until that goal is met. 
Yeah, Sam, thank you so much for kind of summarizing the impact cycle. I think that's uh, really important for our listeners to hear. And if they're not familiar with the impact cycle, you know, this new book that Jim Knight has out is really great at kind of doing what you just did and summarizing the different stages. But Jim Knight also has a whole book dedicated to this impact cycle. Um, The impact cycle, what instructional coaches should do to foster powerful improvements in teaching. So I definitely encourage them to check that book out as well. I also want to add that for any new instructional coaches who might just be starting out using the impact cycle, that you should try to consider the first few cycles you engage in primarily as opportunities for learning, right? Because you're doing something new yourself. So maybe by starting off with a collaborating teacher who is friendly and patient and can offer support to you during this learning time for you as well could be really helpful. And for any instructional coaches who may not be using the impact cycle to guide them through their coaching, just remember that the most important idea behind a coaching cycle is that you are supporting your collaborating teacher. So let's move on to talk about that fifth success factor, which is data. So data is about gathering data in classrooms by measuring achievement, engagement, or teaching. So now you could be thinking, why would an instructional coach need to gather data at all? But data can help both the teacher and the instructional coach clearly see what's happening in the classroom, which can then help teachers establish goals and measure progress towards the goals. It really helps to help show progress that's being made in the classroom. So really analyzing that data will help the teacher see what their goal should be focused on. It's said to be best that the data is gathered by the teacher, but the role of the instructional coach will come into play when the teacher is really dissecting that data and thinking about what goals they should set. There are some cases, though, where teachers may not know what data could or should be gathered, and in that case, they'll likely look to their instructional coach for suggestions. Yeah, you're right, Brittany. Um, data can be used in several ways in the classroom, and you know there are also a variety of ways that you can collect data. Sometimes as a classroom teacher, it can be difficult to really get that clear picture of reality or, or see what's really taking place in your, in your classroom. And one way to get that clear picture is, you know, to video yourself teaching a lesson. Um, You know, I'm sure there are some teachers who maybe aren't comfortable with that idea, um, but maybe even offering, you know, to record it on their own phone. That way, you know, they always had control over who saw the video and and whatnot. Um, But it really, that video just helps give the teacher instructional coach a perspective on the classroom that really just cuts through any of those perceptual errors. You could also interview students and get their feedback about how things are going during that maybe specific block or class with that teacher. And some students might be more comfortable maybe just like filling out a writing prompt or an exit ticket. And then the last way that you can get a clear picture of reality is just by that observation of a lesson. Yeah, Sam. And I love that student interview strategy. I think it's one that is often forgotten about, but I used to work at a school who used student interviews to really help get a clear picture of reality and what was happening in classrooms, and that information was always so beneficial. 
And in the resource that we're using for this episode, it also mentions six data rules. And those rules are that data should be chosen by the teacher. It should be objective. It should be gathered frequently. It should be valid, reliable, and mutually understood. It should be gathered by the teacher when possible. Something else that I thought was interesting from our reading um, was that engagement should also be a focus for instructional coaching because, you know, it's the main reason that students stay in school if they're engaged in their learning. Um, Instructional coaches and teachers can gather that behavioral, cognitive, and emotional engagement data with students. So if you're an instructional coach listening, I would, you know, reflect back on how data is being used as part of your role and think about that role of engagement in your teacher's instructional practices. Yes. The sixth success factor listed is the instructional playbook. This is, you know, a crucial resource for instructional coaches. We know that goals are essential in our practice, but they don't mean much if we don't have a pathway to reach them. This is why instructional coaches need to have a deep understanding of those high-impact teaching strategies. The instructional coaches collaborate with their teachers to identify, explain, model, and adapt teaching strategies so teachers and their students can both meet their goals. An instructional playbook is a great resource made up of high-impact strategies, including a summary of each and a detailed description of what that strategy is. Um, For the instructional playbook that Jim Knight created, there are three sections, and I'm going to kind of talk through those sections at a high level. The first section is a short list of the high-impact teaching strategies that coaches use the most with their teachers. The second section is a set of one-page documents that summarize the purpose, research, and any other essential information for each of those teaching strategies. And the third section is made up of checklists for each of those strategies that the instructional coach will share with their collaborating teacher. And I have linked an example of a high-impact strategy from the Instructional Coaching Group's website so that you can get an idea of what one looks like. And, you know, this website also just has a lot of great free resources that I encourage you to check out when you have time. That was a great description of the instructional playbook, Sam, and I just want to put another plug in here. This is another book that Jim Knight has, um, an entire book dedicated to um, kind of creating and using this instructional playbook. So I also encourage you to check that one out if you're looking for additional resources. Um, I also have to admit that this success factor is one of my favorites. Um, Just in our work, I've seen how truly valuable the instructional playbook is. And this is a resource that I wish I would have had to use earlier on in my career. In that book that I was just mentioning, um, the instructional playbook, The Missing Link for Translating Research into Practice, the very first chapter of the book is titled The Life-Changing Magic of the Instructional Playbook. And I just think that's so fitting because this resource not only helps us to identify those highest impact teaching strategies, but beyond that, 
really lets us increase our own knowledge of the strategies as we're helping educators. And the playbook really just serves as a common ground of sorts between instructional coaches and educators and even administration and educators because it helps to build a shared vocabulary and ensure that, you know, when we're talking about a strategy, that all stakeholders have the same understanding of what that strategy means. Um, At first glance, the instructional playbook seems like just a coaching tool, but it really is also a great communication tool. Yeah. And it's important to keep in mind, too, that this instructional playbook is a living, breathing document. So new high-impact strategies should be added when needed, along with that one-pager and that checklist to accompany it. Instructional coaches and any other relevant stakeholders should go back and revisit the playbook often. And one helpful thing that we have learned through the coaching academy that we host is the power of networking. So if you have several coaches working in the same district or coaches that have teachers they're working with with similar needs, you could consider creating a playbook that could be shared among all of those coaches. And I think that's something really beneficial to keep in mind. That leads us to the final success factor that we will talk about today, which is system support. And this is focused on where you work. When instructional coaches are successful, it's often because they work in environments where leaders are intentional and disciplined about providing that support that they need um, to be successful. And district-level support for instructional coaches really helps to kind of ensure that everyone who is involved understands what the purpose of instructional coaching is and why it's deemed necessary to address the complexities of all of the different stages of implementation. Successful districts also create those structures and cultures that really promote learning um, from all of those involved. In settings where instructional coaches are the most effective, principals intentionally support those coaches and in fact are sometimes even instructional coaches themselves. Yeah, I loved how, you know, you mentioned that last part about principles, that principles have to be, you know, explicit in their work with instructional coaches that, you know, they may have in their buildings if they want that instructional coaching piece to be a success. Something that Jim Knight shared with us is that it's imperative that the principal believes in the work the instructional coach is doing and just helps to further promote that learning culture. I think that makes such a difference. Um, I know we've covered a lot of information in our time together today, Um, Brittany, and, and, you know, maybe it might be a little overwhelming to some, especially if they're new to the role as an instructional coach. So um, what are some next steps for new instructional coaches maybe that are tuning in today? I think that for any instructional coach that's wondering where to start, digging into these seven success factors can be extremely beneficial. They really kind of summarize a lot of the important research and work of Jim Knight, so it's a great place to start and not be too overwhelmed. I think you can consider which out of the seven factors um, is an area that you may be the weakest in and start from there. Most importantly, just remember that instructional coaching is a partnership where everyone involved can grow in ways that leads to that common goal of increasing student success. 
for links to all the resources discussed in today's episode. And for additional information, please visit our website at marshall.edu forward slash ELTAC forward slash podcast. Want to learn more about being a leader of literacy? Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single installment. In the next episode, my co-host Samantha Statler and colleague Amber Myers are going to be discussing big ideas for early and elementary math and literacy. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening.